Welcome to Conflict Managed. I'm your host, Mary Brown. Today on Conflict Managed, we're joined by the Reverend Robert Hall, who is a native of Nashville, Tennessee. He is a devoted husband and father to four amazing children. For the last 20 years, he has been motivating youth and adults through ministry, mentorship, and education. In 2006, he accepted his call to ministry and was ordained under the leadership of the Reverend Dr. Andrew Lee Stevens, founding pastor of the Village Church, PCUSA. He went on to earn his Bachelor of Arts degree in Bible and Theology from the American Baptist College and his Master's in Education from Lipscomb University. He is also ordained in the National Baptist Convention. Reverend Hall served several years as an educator in the Metro Nashville Public School System, teaching ancient world and U.S. history. He is the founding pastor of Abundant Faith Fellowship in Nashville, Tennessee. He serves as chaplain and special advisor to the president at Meharry Medical College. He is also the newly appointed organizational ombuds at Meharry Medical College. Reverend Hall brings a wealth of personal experience as a spiritual leader, entrepreneur, and former educator. Indeed, his high expectations of himself have created a pathway of success. He views all persons as already capable with many strengths, and he recognizes and uses the power of high expectations to help them see their own capacity for growth. He travels nationally to college campuses, schools, and churches, speaking on his passion and focus on African-American males of all ages and their definition of manhood and masculinity in the 21st century. He holds memberships in several professional and service organizations, such as the International Ombuds Association and the Omega Psi Chi Fraternity, Inc. Because of his calling, ability to communicate, and reputation for professionalism, he is often asked to facilitate, speak to, and serve people across religious, ethnic, cultural, and socioeconomic lines, cultivating them to know their fullest potential to live their best lives. Good morning, Rob, and welcome to Conflict Managed. Good morning. Thank you for having me. I'm so delighted that you're here. We had the pleasure of meeting each other at an International Ombuds Association Foundations course in Indianapolis last month. Yes, we did. And so will you tell the listeners a little bit about, well, of course, we want to hear about your story and your work history, but I would like to begin with talking about how you got interested in the Ombuds world and in the Ombuds space. Well, yes, thank you. Uh, The Ombuds is traditionally joined uh, with the office of the chaplain here at Meharry Medical College. I I am the second Ombuds here at the college. It was established about six years ago. And so it is a role that is kind of like what you would call a dual dual role um, that is established here. So because you're the chaplain or you became the chaplain, then you're also moving into the ombud space. Is that is that how it worked? Yes. You know, they both work, you know, kind of in tandem is uh, the best way to say it, uh, because both being uh, independent and being confidential, uh, I rely on the same principles for both roles. And so it would just be kind of a natural handshake between the two positions to work. Uh, one being on more of the spiritual side, but then the other being on more of the informal process side. So we know sort of where you have ended up, and we'll talk more about that as both a chaplain and an ombuds. But where did you begin? What is the first job you ever had? Wow, the first job. <laughs> um, my first job, I was an apprentice at a, um, a, a, a art store where I did a lot of framing of artwork. 
as a as a young boy. I was uh, an apprentice at the age of 14. Um, I would say my first job where I was able to get uh, a payroll check was uh, Sears. I was working in the sporting goods department while I was in high school. So yeah, that has um, customer service, working with people um, has always been a part of what I have done with pretty much every job that um, that I've done up until this point. So when you think about your 14-year-old self and you were apprenticing as a in this print shop and in framing things for people, what do you remember? What sticks out most about that job? You know, the thing that sticks out most to me about that job was just learning something new and also being in a space that had a, a, a different energy that I had ever uh, experienced before. Uh, being around uh, artwork, but I, I can just right now, just as I'm reminiscing, I can just feel the cleanliness of the air, uh, the openness of the space and just just being able. It was a very quiet space as well, very serene. And so that's what sticks out to me the most about that experience. Um, and just being excited about being a boy, being able to make a little money at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> I think that is really interesting because isn't that so true about our jobs that every place we go is this new environment, an atmosphere that is different than any other place we've been. So of course, before you have your first job, most of your experiences are at home, school, right. church, right. those sorts of things, which is very different than the world of work. Mm -hmm. But there probably aren't a lot of jobs that, I mean, I can almost imagine, as you described it, this sort of cool, quiet, serene environment where people are bringing in almost like a library, maybe a little hushy, but it's not yeah. loud and flashy. And exactly. what it would be what it would be like to be young and working in that environment would seem very different than probably the chaos of a teenage life outside right. of that. Yeah, absolutely. It was it was um, very different from my home life and from. Uh, what I would experience at school or hanging out with my friends, but it was extremely enjoyable because I, you know, I tend to be a sponge even at that age uh, to learn a new craft, uh, to learn something new. Just as a creative, you're always looking for those fresh and new things. And so, um, yeah, I, I, man, you, I, I haven't thought about that <laughs> in so long. So you took me back. Thank you for that. <laughs> you're welcome. So when we think about being an apprentice, of course, we think about learning a skill, right? You're learning a new skill set, something that you hadn't done, and somebody is teaching you. Yes. What did you learn about the world of work, of, of management, of how you ought to be treated at work from that experience? You know, when I go back, uh, the owner of the, the, owner of the uh, art store, his name was Neil, um, very quiet man himself, but very matter of fact. He made sure that he had people there in the space that knew what they were doing and they enjoyed their work. Uh, so I think the thing that I learned in that space is just or, or what I learned from him as he managed the space was to make sure that uh, he had the right people in place, the right energy, the right personalities. Um, those individuals were engaging to the customer base and everything had to me, its place, both tangibly and intangibly. Um, you know, as a young boy, I can't remember any conflicts. I really don't remember any uh, negative interactions from a customer standpoint or even from a professional standpoint from, you know, coworker to coworker. 
Um, I always remember that space being very cool, easy, quiet and enjoyable laughing um you know um I was I was always making wanted to make sure I walked to work from my grandmother's house so I wanted to make sure that I was on time but just donning the back door it was a switch you know let's get in here and get to work but we were going to enjoy the process that is so interesting because of course as a 14 year old you didn't know that that's wonderful environment that's that's a sort of an ideal environment, yes. which a lot of people don't get the joy of experiencing something like that. Yeah, yeah. So, so imagine when you went to work for Sears, it's a bit of a different environment, very hustle and bustle and lots of activity and not very quiet. Uh, what was that experience like with specifically what you learned about coworkers and managers? Sears was the complete opposite. You know, we were on commission uh, working uh, in in Sears, so it was very much a hectic, you know, just it wasn't a, a, a team or family environment, if you will. Um, it was kind of an every person for themselves, uh, and that's what I recognize that was the major difference between the two because you had to be a little bit more aggressive and not as laid back. It's, of course, I'm now older. I'm now 16 years old when I'm working at Sears. Uh, so my focus is going to also be a little bit different um, on what's what where my values are. I don't enjoy going to work as much. Uh, I'm just, <laughs> you know, trying to get some extra spending money for the weekend as a high schooler. Um, but yeah, it was a very, very different environment. More people um, going from a, a place of being an apprentice in a place of a maximum of five people to now working in an apartment store with various uh, groups of people, personalities, uh, it was vastly different. Yeah. So you go through you go through high school, you go to college. What did you major in in college? Um, well, I, I had a very uh, interesting college experience. I started at Tennessee State University, uh, and I went there for two years in uh, majoring in psychology. And then I had a, uh, a tragic car accident, um, which uh, I sustained some massive injuries, but it sparked an interest uh, in therapy and help. And so uh, I, I, I transitioned from Tennessee State and went to Southeastern Career College and received my certification in massage therapy. Hmm. And so for around 15 years, I was uh, in private practice and then also did some contract work as a uh, therapeutic uh, therapist, massage therapist. Oh, that is interesting. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And so from there, <laughs> I then went back to finish my degree uh, and I finished my degree in Bible and theology from American Baptist College. And then I majored in, uh, oh, I got my master's of education uh, from Lipscomb University. Uh, so I had about eight years as a teacher uh, before I went into full-time ministry. Hmm. Well, you have had quite an interesting, varied career. Yes, yes, absolutely. <laughs> Wonderful experiences, all dealing with people, uh, trying to improve the condition and lives of those that I come in contact with. Yeah, I mean, gosh, there's so much in common, it seems to me, with being a massage therapist and being a pastor and an yes. office person. It's so, it's so intentional and person-centered work. Yes, yes, yeah. absolutely. So when you think about all the different experiences you've had and the different work environments you've had, which one strikes you as the best 
either with an organization or a person, and what was so good about it for you? You know, um, the experiences I've had with um, all of those various professions uh, and experiences, I can't say that one is better than the next, uh, and and I definitely want to give respect and credence to all of those experiences because um, you know, even as a as a licensed massage therapist contracting and also having to work in various spas, both in um, as a therapist, but then also in leadership positions as well. Um, you know, I'm I won't say that one strikes me over the other one, um, because as as much as they are connected, they are very different um, environments in which you're seeking to provide help. Um, for one another. But I will say that what is most rewarding to me right now is the work as a pastor and as a chaplain, as an, as an ombuds. So tell us a little bit about that. What is, what is rewarding about that for you? I would say having a call on your life that um, has been there the entire time. And now it's almost like you've been in first gear and second gear and third gear and fourth gear. And finally, you hit that fifth gear um, where you know you're you're on the highway. Uh, you don't have to press so hard on the gas to build up the momentum. You've you've spent 20 something years building the momentum and now you're able to move and, and operate in that call Um because you're at the right speed, at the right momentum, you're in the right vehicle. Mm-hmm. And I think that my journey has been moving towards being in that right vehicle this uh, um, this whole time. Mm. Mm-hmm. Gosh, I think that's really powerful. When I think about all the experiences that I've had, and, and as you go through your life, you, you collect experiences, and you can use those to your advantage and, and grow or... Sometimes we do the same thing over and over again. And uh, just because you have an experience doesn't mean you are necessarily learning from it. Right. But I do think that we are a, a collection of everything that we have done and experienced over our lifetime. And what I really love about being in midlife is, even though I have switched careers about two years ago from teaching into workplace conflict resolution, I, I in, a, in a way, I do feel this that I have come into all of this experience that I've had has prepared me for where I am today. And it just feels like breathing mm-hmm. in, a, in a different way. Like yes. I feel sometimes I feel like I should have imposter syndrome because I've switched jobs. Yeah. And I don't, I don't have it at all. I feel like, right. no, <laughs> yeah. this, this is where I'm supposed to be. And this is what I'm supposed to be doing. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. Um, I feel like every environment that I've been able to, gain experience, work experience in, my my leaders have always been telling me the same thing. And it's like, Rob, I want to take the limits off of you. I want you to, I want to expand you. I want you to to do this. I want you to have more impact um, within a particular group of people. And I found that every experience led to another experience um, that that had greater impact. And that experience led to another one that had greater impact. And so, you know, imagine being a massage therapist for 15 years. I can only work on one person at a time. Mm -hmm. And then from there, you go to now being a school teacher. (laughs) So now you have 30 kids in the classroom at the same time. And, And it's not just 30 
it's not just a class, it's a class of 30 individuals mm -hmm. that you have to make sure that you you know, understand, have knowledge about it so that you can provide for them um, the level of learning that they need to now being a pastor of, of, of an emerging and growing church and then having a, a chaplain of over a thousand people here on campus the, the list goes on and on. So it's like the, the each experience leads or has led for me uh, into a space where I've been able to have greater impact. Tell me about that, because a lot of us who are very interested in individuals and really speaking into individuals' lives sometimes can find it challenging when we, you know, you're dealing one-on-one -on -one and then 30 on one and then hundreds on one and now a thousand on one. And so how you interact does has to shift, right? Cause there's yes. only one you and there's only so much time. Mm -hmm. So how, how have you shifted how you interact and how you lead when you have more and more people and more and more needs? Well, um, the African proverb says many hands make light work. And so um, on one hand, it's about making sure that I align myself with people um, who uh, have similar passions, a similar path. That way, you know, uh, iron will sharpen iron, if you will, um, gaining new knowledge, new information, better, way to, better ways to do um, uh, what it is that I've been called to do. Um, also, I'm always excited about meeting other leaders, uh, other people who are interested in leading. I, I even tell my um, my leaders at my church that I'm I'm not looking for sheep. I'm looking for shepherds. If we all come together as shepherds, we will naturally find the sheep because we all have our own fellowship. We all have individuals who look and depend on us for insight, for, for leadership, for guidance. And when we pull it together and not work in a silo, that is where we have greater impact and no one has to feel as if they're doing it on their own. Hmm. And so I think it's important to identify emerging leaders, identify people's strengths and help them to activate it in the ways where everyone will benefit from everyone's strength. You mentioned that you have had leaders who want to um, help you grow, help you develop. Mm -hmm. What are some specific things that different leaders have done for you and spoken into your life that have helped you go to the next level? Um, I would say the first leader would be my high school principal. He, I would say, was the first one to take the limits off. Uh, for me, and that was simply by giving me two things. That was opportunity and access. Mm -hmm. um, he gave me opportunity to do um, some small speaking engagements. This high school kid that wasn't really focused on much but football, um, you know, he, he, he was able to give me these small speaking engagements that became larger speaking engagements, which allowed me to get comfortable, uh, if you will, being in front of people and also being able to see my impact at a young age. He followed me um, through my college career, through my professional career, to the point to where as he became pastor of a church and was no longer able to, I was able to succeed him. Mm -hmm. uh, so th that was one of the things that uh, I feel like most of my leaders have done. Uh, two of the things, excuse me, is giving me opportunity and giving me access. 
while I was in um, uh, my my actual principal, who was my leader when I was a teacher, did something very similar. He told me, I need you to come out of the four walls of the classroom. And so I became the um, social, uh, social emotional learning coordinator for the entire school, which allowed me to create programming for the students, what I would call beautiful distractions during the lunch hour period where most of the school fights would, would ensue. Um, to being able to mentor new teachers uh, who are fresh in and everybody knows who's ever taught in school, you know, your first year is the worst year, um, but helping them along the way. So, you know, those opportunities and those uh, the, the access that I have been given is something that I try to pay forward uh, because that has given me the opportunity to be where I am today. Gosh, I love that opportunity and access. If we think about, you know, belonging, we talk a lot about belonging. How how do we really include people in work environments? How do we really help them flourish? Yeah. Right? Well, give them opportunities and access. And right. and I really do believe as leaders, you grow your power by sharing your power. Yes. Power grows power as you were saying, right? The more yeah. leaders the more leaders, it doesn't diminish anyone, but everybody grows and everybody benefits. Yes. And when we don't gobble up all the speaking or all of the opportunities and we don't hoard, but we but we allow other people to to grow appropriately. And that's what a leader does, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Your high school, your high school uh, uh principal didn't send you off on something that he thought you were, you know, were gonna absolutely fail and you weren't prepared for. Mm-hmm. But of course, that's a part of leaders really seeing. Where, where to push you towards um, in these opportunities and open the door and, and let you decide because you could have said no. Right, right, absolutely. And, you know, the, the thing about leading is all of us are leaders. Everyone is a leader in some capacity of your life, whether you're leading in a way that is beneficial toward you, for you, or you're leading in a way that is not. You have the choice. You know, um, I I heard a speaker say you wake up every day with two things. You wake up with a chance and a choice, Hmm. you know. And so, you know, it is about activating the agency in each person to understand, um, you know, how their influence in their own choice, their influence in their own life um, uh, and, and, and not feel like life is happening to me. Mm-hmm. that I wake up every day, even as things do happen that are unplanned, um, that I still have the opportunity. I still have access. I still have chance. I still have choice um, uh, in every situation um, that I encounter. I think that's really important for people who are in a variety of different work environments. If they feel stuck or if they feel like it's toxic or or something is going on, maybe they're being bullied or harassed. To many times we tell it, tell these stories to ourselves. I'm stuck. I can't do anything. I have to wait for my boss to do something, the system to change, someone to apologize to me. And that just adds insult to injury because it takes your power away. Yes. We have options. And the more we realize we have options, the more creative we can be and, and assert that individual power to decide what we're going to do next, because we're happening to the world. The world is not happening to us. Right. Absolutely. And and that's why I'm excited about the position as ombuds, because we get to 
aid people, guide people in exploring their options, yeah. um, exploring what it is that, um, you know, they are able to do in this situation. Um, and, and that is to me extremely important because I also have fallen victim uh, in areas of my own personal struggle, my own personal life, where I felt like I did not have a choice, where I've got to just take it laying down. And, and, and that, uh, was very defeating. And that's a hard place to come out of um, when um, you've had to deal with, I would say, a, 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 just a lot of challenges that have avalanche of challenges that have come your way. Um, you forget that you are powerful. You forget that you can make small moves that produce big change. You forget that and you just take it. Um, and so I'm excited about, um, you know, helping people, creating some impact for some people that may be in some difficult uh, spaces professionally or personally, um, but to let them know that they have options. I wonder if, you know, somebody listening to this and think, oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, it's so easy to say I have options. I can move. I can change. I, I affect the world. The world is not dictating to me. And yet we know there are really awful circumstances people find themselves in, uh, whether it has to do with something happening to their family or their own physical health challenges. As you experienced, as you mentioned, with uh, the accident that you were in, how I imagine that you had some dark days when you were dealing with recovering from that accident. Are there any lessons you learned from that that have to go with what we've been talking about, How deciding to choose a, a brighter path than maybe falling into despair. Oh yes, oh yes. I I truly believe that that there is there is a brighter side in every situation. Um there is a a mandarin character um that is uh is called Wei Ji. And if you know anything about um uh, the mandarin languages, it's 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 there's most most of the words have a flip or a, a double meaning. And so Wei Ji means on one side, but then on the other side, it means opportunity. So in every crisis, there is an opportunity. There is an, there is an opportunity for me to, to look at this. The path may be diverting. The path may be changing. Um, I also heard that, you know, it's not necessarily the end of the road, but the bend in the road. And it's only the end in a road if you fail to make the turn. And so oftentimes we get caught in a space of going the route that we planned and that when things divert or when things change or when we reach the bend in the road, we fail to make the turn because we are committed to the direction without thinking that things may make we might enter in. This may be a space that we're entering into a change in our situation change in our relationship, change in our life, uh, or change in our experience. And so my challenges have taught me to be malleable. They have taught me to be flexible, uh, to know that no matter what, I, I if, if I take two lefts, two rights, whatever things happen, that the destination in my, my faith tells me is still sure. Um, and um, that's how I came into pastoring. That's how I came to Meharry Medical. Um, you know, none of these things honestly were planned, but I had to remain flexible uh, because it. when I look back now, 
even with the stress or the fear or the anxiety, everything worked out. And it worked out better than I could have ever expected. I think that is interesting. Many times we do find ourselves in a situation and we think for a good situation, we think, how do we get here? Because if I would have planned my life, I it wouldn't be this this good. Because right. <laughs> sometimes we don't know what's actually in our best interest. Yeah. We might think, you know, oh, I wanted to be a rock star. Or I wanted this, that, or the other. And come to find out that that really isn't the best life. You know, what is the flourishing life? What is a, a life well-lived? And if you can't answer that, it's going to be very hard to be satisfied at work. Right, right. right. What, what are you trying to get out of this place that you're working in or out of your career? And what is what do you want for your life? And that's what I love about conflict management. Well, I specifically do workplace conflict management. Mm-hmm. I see it as if we can get those basic principles down and really think about conflicts and think about why I'm having this reaction versus mm-hmm. how do I want to show up? It can help us, I think, step back and look at work and career from a vantage point of the whole you know, what is a good life? Who am I? How am I showing up independent of what the organization or individuals are doing? Right. Who do I want to be now and into the future? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think we are sometimes finding ourselves in conflict because we lack meaning. We don't understand. We're confused. I say sometimes I'm not understanding why things are happening. We can't answer that particular question, why these things are happening. And so I know a lot of, for conflict management, that is probably one of the questions that many people want to answer first. Why is this happening? The why and the what, if you will. Um, And that work is very personal to me. Um, because most, when we're talking about searching for meaning, it's just not just the philosophical meaning of life or meaning of a my particular life, but meaning also in circumstances, meaning in situations. Um, when you feel the shift, or it maybe it's not a shift, maybe it's an abrupt stop. I come into work one day, things are great. I come into work the next day, and it's not. Um, you know, you know, helping to, you know, as we're looking and investigating options, but also finding meaning in that space as well. Yeah. There's a lot there that I, I want, I would like to get to, but I want to diverge just a little bit. And I wonder if you could quickly talk to us about this idea of beautiful distractions. Yeah. <laughs> I love, I love that phrase. It conjures up a lot of meaning to me. Um, but it just sounds like such a wonderful idea. And it seems like something we could employ in just about every aspect of our, of our life. But could you uh, tell us about that? So while I was a, a social, social emotional learning coordinator, um, the data that was placed in uh, in front of me was that most of the conflict in the middle school stemmed from the lunch period um, for every every class. It was fifth through eighth grade. So when we when we went, you know, got down to all of the data, we realized that, you know, you know, you know, two students were 
in the cafeteria bullying another student or they got into a whole fit about talking about each other's mama or, you know, uh, just anything. But it, wherever it happened, it happened in an unstructured, the only unstructured time that the students had in their entire school day. And that was the cafeteria. And so what I wanted to do was create beautiful distractions, not give the students any more rules that they already have that they're struggling with following, but give them positive interactions, create opportunities for them to see each other or not see each other, like make sure that they're, you know, not even focused on the negativity or focused on each other. So what I did during the 30 minute period for each grade level was I gave them things that they liked to do. Um, we did karaoke. We 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 did dance-offs. Uh, um, they were able to create their own playlist, a uh, radio version, of course, <laughs> um, that we played over the loudspeaker that gave them positive stimuli that did not leave them to their own devices or to whatever negativity that they would naturally create on their own. So what we found is that we saw a huge decline in the level of referrals, a huge decline in the level of fights happening after uh, the lunch period. Um, and it was it stemmed from making sure that they were not in a cesspool of negativity in the lunch period. And first of all, they're upset about the school lunch because they don't like it. Um, secondly, it's like it's you you have 200 kids per lunch period in a very, very small space, sitting at tables where only 16 people are supposed to sit at a time, and there's just, there's there's no programming. And so what we did is that we created beautiful distractions by giving them social uh, accountability and responsibility over cleaning their own space and made competitions. Sometimes you have to just give uh, structure. And, and that's what we did. That was the beautiful distraction. I love that. You know, I think about a lot of the bullying that takes place in culture in general. It's uh, online and that's unstructured cesspool of a place or it can be. I mean, mm -hmm. a lot of my TikTok is filled with cats and cat videos <laughs> and lovely things. <laughs> that's what I like to watch. Yeah. Um, and I, I don't um, really, you know, so with some people, that's what they do. And it's, it, I think it is that it's an, when you have an unstructured life, it, it can give place for not, um, I think we all need help. I think we all need help to be better than we were yesterday. And mm -hmm. we all need incentive. And I think that's a good, that's just a, a part of being a human person. So we need in good environments, people to encourage us, goals to go for. And so sort of generalized structure. But if there is no structure in the everyday, whatever works for the individual, it can be easy to fall into bad habits, bad patterns, and not live that a plus life that we all want, right? Yeah, yeah. When we get to the grave, we want to say, we made it. This is wonderful right. rather than D and done. You know, we, we want the best. That, that's curated. That's intentional. It's, mm -hmm. And intention, it, intentionality means some level of structure. Yes, yes. And also the, 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 the discipline of focusing on what is positive mm -hmm. and looking not for looking for the solution. And the solution is not necessarily focusing on the issue, but focusing on how can I improve the issue? Mm -hmm. What are some things that I can 
what is the tipping point? You know, for us, the tipping point was simply giving them, letting them be free and have fun and not have silent lunch, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. pent up energy that was going to go back and be used in the classroom in a negative way. I think even in the professional and in the adult environment, we also have to provide ourselves beautiful distractions. Um, that could be just getting up and going outside and sun gazing, walking around, taking, you know, moving away from sedentary environments just for a few moments to fill your blood flow, um, get some energy back, going and saying hello to a friend or a colleague, um, you know, just whatever that is that allows you to feel um, recharged and mitigate levels of stress. When we are operating in stress, we are not operating at our best. And then conflicts also can stem from that. I also like this, Gus. My mind is just going with this beautiful distractions, but I think it's it's intentional, right? It's and what you talked about being actively involved in your life, right? We have these choices. We get to act. We get to choose. Mm-hmm. And when we say, okay, I'm going to look at this piece of art, or I'm going to go out in nature, or I'm going to walk down the hall, or I'm going to, it takes intentional thought and then doing it. And that is a way to show ourselves that the world isn't just happening to us, that we can curate and intentionally make a good life because good lives don't happen. Right. You know, I I taught virtue ethics for over 20 years and I, I agree with Aristotle that we're either going towards virtue or going towards vice and vice is easy. It is easy mm-hmm. to maliciously gossip. I mean, that takes no work, right? Yes. Um, it's a guilt, maybe, hopefully it's at least a guilty pleasure, but people enjoy that. It takes self-control and restraint to not gossip about people. But when we do talk about others, constructive moving forward and never kicking somebody when they're down. Mm-hmm. But which one leads to a better environment, better relationships, and a better life in general? Right. right. It's that intentional, active, as you said, discipline and restraint. And with good habits, the more you practice, the more you get them. And then you more, the more you do. Absolutely. I agree. So, Rob, you've worked in a lot of different environments, and I'm sure that you've encountered people that you have found difficult to work with for whatever reason. How do you deal with difficult colleagues. So what do you have any tips for people that find themselves in difficult work situations and and what have you done in the past? I think the first thing that I try to understand is that everybody has a pathology. You know, um there is a, you know, there's a reason why I come to work the way that I do and so same for someone else. Um, and most of that pathology, I would say 99% of it predates and is outside of the work environment that is brought in. And so I try to understand that um, my bad day that I have in most cases is not necessarily influenced by someone else in the workspace. It could be that um, that I impact them with my bad day. Uh, So when I deal with difficult people, I try to understand first that whatever it is that I just encountered, whatever negative stimuli that I just encountered, and and maybe for the most part, it may not have anything to do with me. Um, If it does have something to do with me, if there is frustration about something that maybe I did not do or mistake that I made, then I know that that's a situation where I can investigate and own it. Uh, but I, I tend not to get emotional quickly. 
um, because I'm trying to, again, find out the meaning, find out the why and own what is mine, but not take on what isn't. And so that's the one thing that I try to encourage other people to do, which is to make sure that even in the moment when you experience conflict, do not lose your humanity, but also do not take away someone else's. That person may be upset about something that has something that has nothing to do with you. Yeah, that's really good advice. So let's end on this note. If you think about the future of work and what we need to do to have healthy environments where not only are people treated with dignity and respect, which I think is just a baseline, that's just treating people the way they ought to be treated, but actually making environments where people flourish. Mm-hmm. What do you think needs to happen so that people are in those work environments? I think that, that you know, leadership is, is, is a huge part about setting the culture. Um, but then the other part about it is the culture. Um, when the culture is a culture that is a positive environment and that that's where we put our investment, I think there is a trickle down effect um, that will benefit everyone. Um, so I think setting up a positive culture, a culturally responsive uh, space uh, where we um, are able to embrace the differences and the similarities alike I think it makes for a great work environment. And again, having people in places where you and I are to help with conflict management, to know that there is a resource, even when I don't know what my options are, I think that that is, it it creates a holistic work environment that I think people benefit from. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Rob, thank you so much for being on Conflict Manage today. I really enjoy talking with you. You as well. Thank you so much for inviting me. Well, take care. Thank you. Thank you so much, Robert, for being on Conflict Managed. I really enjoyed our conversation. Conflict Managed is produced by third-party workplace conflict restoration services and hosted by me, Mary Brown. You can find us online at 3pconflictrestoration.com. If you would like to watch one-minute videos on how to have confident conversations and all things conflict at work, follow me on TikTok at 3pconflictrestoration. Also, I am pleased that my new book is out and doing really well. It's called How to Be Unprofessional at Work, Tips to Ensure Failure. You can find it on Amazon or wherever you buy books. Our music is courtesy of Dove Pilot. And remember, conflict is normal and to be expected. Let's deal with it. Until next time, take care.